Today we're going to be in John chapter 10. So if you want to grab a Bible, there are some in front of you. You can pick one up. Uh, grab your phone, turn it on. We're going to be in John chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. And here's the idea that we're going to lay out before you. Um, you know, we're walking through this series, and Jesus is making himself known. And he does that through a series of statements in the Gospel of John and signs. Now, these signs are miracles. They point to his identity. So when you read through John's Gospel, you'll see these series of miracles. And they all point to who he is. But he also makes these I am statements. Now, they're important statements because in the Old Testament... God revealed himself through an I am statement. It was the definitive I am statement. He said, I am that I am. Meaning nothing exists outside of me. I determine everything. I am existence itself. And that was the message that Moses in the Old Testament took back to his people. And says, as you're following me, I am following the great I am. Now Jesus takes this idea... And if you don't have that backstory, these are just some statements that you see in the New Testament. But with that backstory, the understanding that Jesus is taking an Old Testament idea and he's bringing it into the present and he's applying to himself what God only applied to himself. And he's saying, This is who I am. Now, today, in John chapter 10, we're going to pick up this idea that Jesus is the door. He's going to say, I am the door into which you can have a relationship with the Father. Now, that's going to set a lot of people off because that's, that's a pretty major claim to say that through me, through faith in me, you can have a relationship to the Father. And he's going to essentially say there's one door, there's one way, there's one man by which we may be saved, and that is the man, the person of Jesus Christ. And so John chapter 10, if you want to grab that, we're going to jump in there, and before we kind of jump into the text, let me give you a little background. You know, when you look at your Bibles, you see these chapters, you see these numbers. Well, in the beginning, that wasn't there. Those are later editions, and so sometimes when we read chapter 10, we're thinking, okay, here's a new story, a new chapter, a new beginning. But chapter 10 is connected really to this flow and this idea that goes all the way back in John chapter 8. Because see, in John chapter 8, there were a lot of people... And imagine you might be there today who are riding the fence about Jesus. Hey, I like what Jesus said. Certainly like water into wine, that was a good thing. Jesus turning, multiplying bread and fish, that was a nice moment, feeding all those kind people. I like Jesus, I like the idea of Jesus, but I'm not quite sure I'm ready to follow and to surrender my life to Jesus. And so in John chapter 8, Jesus begins to address the crowds, and he starts addressing them with some sharper language. He's trying to move them off the fence. To say, hey, it's good to follow me. It's good to believe in me. But you need to know who I am. And see, in John chapter 8, and we're going to throw some of these verses up. In verse 32, in verse 31, this is what he said to get people to move off the fences. In verse 31 of John chapter 8, it says, And so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, here's the problem. To the people he's speaking to, they already think they're free. And so they're thinking, okay, Jesus, you said the truth will set me free, but I'm not enslaved to anyone. Why do I need to be set free? And so they respond to him in verse 33, and they answered him, We're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you can say 
you will become free. I think many people today, certainly in our community, respond the same, the same way to Jesus. Why do I need Jesus in my life? Hey, I've got everything I need. I'm successful. I've got what I need to take care of life. Why do I need Christ in my life? And he says there's an element of freedom that is lacking. That really the gospel is freedom. It's freedom to know God, to experience God, and then freedom to live life in relationship with God, devoid of the weights and the burdens of life. And we're going to talk about what these burdens are, these laws and idols that kind of come into our heart and dictate how life should go. But Jesus is saying, I want to set you free. And so notice this down in verse 42. We'll see this on the screen. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. And I came not of my own accord, but God sent me. That he's saying, if you were of God and Abraham was your father, then here's the truth. You would love me. You would follow me. You would want to know me. And he ends with this phrase, because before Abraham was, ego in me, I am. And see, at that point, in John 8, they said, Jesus, you're out the door. Jesus, we've, we've walked the fence long enough, but with that statement, we're done. And it's from that moment on that the religious leaders wanted to see Jesus cast out. They wanted to see him crucified. Because they said, Jesus, we can't accept that. You're out and we're in. And that's the story that you see as you move into John chapter 9. It's a story of who is in and who's out. Who's acceptable, who can walk through the door and who can't. Because in John 9, you have a story of a man who was blind from birth. And see, before that, Jesus said... Uh, I am the light of the world. And literally, he's now going to bring light to someone who's in darkness. And here's this man. He'd been blind from birth. Jesus heals him, gives him his sight, and the entire city goes wild. And I imagine all of us would go wild to see someone who had been blind since birth. And so they take this man, and they bring him to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders asked him, asked him, hey, how is it that you can see? And he told them the story. Well, this man named Jesus... He came to me, touched my eyes, and now I see. Well, see, that was the wrong answer. Because, see, Jesus is out the door, remember? Jesus isn't on the inside. He's on the outside because the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're the bouncers for God. They determine who's in, and they determine who's out. And so here's this man who is blind from birth. They don't celebrate with him. Hey, isn't it great that you can see? Isn't it great that Jesus has healed you? Because, see, that's a sign of who he is. Instead, they said, no, because you're testifying about Jesus, you're exiled. You're out. Because, see, the Pharisees believed they were the ones that determined who God accepts and who God rejects. Because we're going to discover there's a difference between the gospel, and the gospel is the good news that Jesus came to preach. The gospel is Jesus. He is the good news of what he has done and who he is. But the gospel says, if you believe, ready for this? If you believe in who Jesus is, you are accepted. That it's very exclusive. There's an exclusive path to God, but it's also very inclusive. There's nothing we can do. All we have to do is to believe. If we believe in Jesus, the result is we are accepted. And here's the conclusion. Here's what happens. We obey. See, the gospel says believe, you're accepted, and because of that, we obey. 
We live a new life out of gratitude for what God has done. But see, this is how the rest of the world operates. Believe, obey. And if you do it right, if you believe right, then you'll be accepted. That you really don't know if you've done it right until you get to heaven. And, and when you walk into that moment, then God's going to cheer for you. But see, in the gospel, there's freedom. Because we know the conclusion before we get to the end of the story. We know through faith in Christ we are accepted and made acceptable to God. And so as we walk into John 10, Jesus is going to confront this idea that the Pharisees are the ones who determine who is in and who is out. Or that the law, and all of us have law in our life. Now it may not be God's law. It may be the law that your mom set up as you grew up in life. Hey, you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're not wise enough. Or it could be your dad. It could be your job. It could sometimes be the law that comes from your income. Hey, you don't have enough or you do have enough. There's all sorts of things in life that send laws. You know what I mean by laws? Basically statements, ideas of what I have to live up to. Some of those are laws that come through our own brokenness. We failed in a certain way. Maybe it was a failed marriage. And because of that failed marriage, you think, hey, I'll never have the right kind of relationship. I'll never be right. Or a failed background or failed experience. And all of those experiences, they send these laws out and they say, hey, if these things are true, then you're acceptable. If these things are not true, you're not acceptable. And what Jesus is going to do in John 10, through this idea of the door and the shepherd, is he's going to remove all of those laws, all of those things that put burdens in our life. And he's going to say, if you just walk through me, if you just accept me, I become the law of grace in your life. And I will determine if you know the Father. I'll determine if you're accepted. So let's jump into this in John chapter 10. You guys ready? Is that a good enough intro? Kind of get us, get us a taste of what's happening. John chapter 10. We're going to pick it up in verses 1 through 10. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger do they do not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the strangers, the voice of the stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So he says it again. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to, to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have that life abundantly. Hey, this is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for us. Can I do that? Father, I just thank you that in this time that we've set apart, um, what a strange, you know, place, setting in churches that we listen to someone speak, and yet you tell us that when those who speak, speak not with their own power, but your strength, they speak as speaking the words of God. 
and those that serve can serve in the strength that you provide so that in all things, Father, you would be praised. Jesus, you've told us you're the good shepherd. You lay down your life for the sheep, and your sheep know your voice, and they listen. And so, Father, I pray that the gospel would be the power of God, not just unto salvation for the first time, but today for us, that as we hear your word, and Lord, maybe there's just a story, maybe there's an idea, that you'll open our ears to hear you, and Father, in that, we will turn to you and find life. There's a lot of things in life, a lot of doors I think we've walked through. There's a lot of promises in life of doors that will give us more than, really more than they can offer. Help us today, Father, to see in, in Jesus, the good shepherd, the true door that leads to life. And then may we shut every other, every other door out that doesn't bring us to life in you. Father, guide us in this truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the question, who is Jesus? Who is he? You know, John does the most, I think, of any gospel really to answer that question. And that's what he's doing again in John 10. If you want to go back and maybe you want to read this week, I'd encourage you to read from Ezekiel chapter 34. I know we don't do a lot of Old Testament, right? Because Ezekiel, that's kind of the backdrop for this John chapter 10. Because in Ezekiel chapter 34, what he's describing, the prophet, is saying, this is what the true king will look like. And the language that Ezekiel uses is kind of interesting. He talks about the true king, the Messiah, God's man being a shepherd. That he's going to show up in a certain way. He's not going to show up to get stuff for himself. He's not going to take power and lord it over others. Remember John and James, they're walking with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, when you get to Jerusalem, hey, can we be your right and left? It's going to be great. You're going to be in power. We want to tell people what to do. And in Ezekiel 34, he says, that's not how the shepherd shows up. That's not how God shows up. Instead, that God dies for those who reject him. That while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus says that we're to love our enemies. We're to pray for those who persecute us. He turns all the values of the world upside down. And in Ezekiel 34, he says, this is what God's going to look like when he shows up. What, what Jesus is doing in John 10 is he's saying, people are listening to me. They're hearing my voice. They're following me. Like this man who was blind from birth, he just simply heard my voice. He responded and he followed me. And through me, he has found life. And so in verses 1 through 5, what he's doing is he's comparing good shepherds with false shepherds. And he says to us in verses 1 through 5, you want to jump back into that. And he says, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, here's the challenging idea, is he's referring to all the religious leaders. You know, the ones that just rejected him. You know, the ones that said to the blind man, I don't care that you can see. All I care is that you're giving credit to Jesus and Jesus shouldn't be taking credit. And so you're out and we're in. And he's saying to all those religious leaders, you are simply thieves and robbers because you're not interested in what God is interested in. That you're serving people not to serve people or to love people, but rather to use them. That they're more interested in their power than God's power. More interested in making a name, right, for themselves, getting a title, getting a position, being seen as powerful in life, and rather giving glory to God. And he says to them, you are thieves and robbers. That's not a message that makes people love you, right? <laughs> Certainly when they're in power, they're thinking, this guy is threatening the power that we have. And so he's saying, these are thieves and robbers. But here's, here's a picture of the true shepherd. 
But he who enters the door by the shepherd of the sheep, uh, to him the gatekeeper opens, and the gatekeeper refers to John the Baptist. You remember that story? John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he says, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that Jesus prepared the way for the coming. I mean, uh, John prepared the way for the coming of Jesus, and so he's referring to him in this veiled language. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he's brought out his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? Why? Because they know his voice. And see, that's the miracle of salvation. It's not just being convinced that Jesus is the truth. It's through the power of the Spirit illuminating the voice, the Word of God. And in hearing that, we hear the voice of God. And it's as if we hear God calling our name. Follow me. In me is life. And Jesus revealing in this, this is, this is what the true shepherd looks like. I am the true shepherd. And then he gets down to verse 7 and he says, I am the door to the sheep. Meaning, allow me to introduce myself. Allow me to introduce who I am. I am the pathway to the Father. Now that's pretty offensive because it's very exclusive, isn't it? To say there's only one way. We can't say that today, right? And we've certainly moved to a place in life today where we understand that just can't be possible. There's got to be many ways to life. There's got to be many paths to life. And I know even as Christians, sometimes we'll struggle against that because we live in a culture that says when it comes to spiritual truth, when it comes to spiritual truth, there has to be many ways. There can't be a single way. But see, Jesus is saying when it comes to knowing the Father, knowing God, there is one way. I am the door to life. And this isn't the only place that he says this. Rather, John kind of loads up these phrases in the book of John that you cannot dismiss it. And so listen to this in John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then John 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now notice he's not saying, I'm, I'm one kind of bread. I'm one kind of light. He's saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. John 11, we'll see this on Easter morning. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then later on in John chapter 14, verse 6, And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in John chapter 20, verse 34, John summarizes why all these phrase, phrases have been given to us. And he says it this way. He says, These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, John's making one single argument. There is one path to life. And in this case, there's one door to eternal life. And he's saying the rest of those doors, they're thieves and robbers. Now, why are they thieves and robbers? Because again, the way of salvation, the way of the world works on this. If you do it right, if you obey the law, then you'll be accepted. And so if, if you follow the rules, the five-fold path, if you get to nirvana, if you do things right, if you get enough reincarnation in your life, you'll be to a place where you'll earn your place and earn your way in. 
meaning religion says believe, remember? But not enough just to believe, but obey. And if you do it right, then you'll be accepted. But see, the gospel says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Right? It's not of yourself. It's not something I can do. It's a gift. It's an entire gift. Salvation is a gift from God. Not as a result of works. Why? So that none of us, and this is good news, so that none of us can boast. You know, some of the best news that I've got to remind myself every week before I get up here, God's got to tell me, Jason, it's not about you. I go, but God, I want to be a good communicator. I want to be known as a good pastor. I want to be known as somebody who's effective. It's not about you. See, if it's about me, it's about being effective, a good communicator. You know what that is? That's a thief. Because that's someone that shows up to use someone for their own purpose. And Jesus is saying, no, it's through faith in me, through believing that you're accepted. And when that happens, see, here's what changes. Our obedience is always out of love. It's always out of gratitude. We love because he first loved us. See, the freedom that comes in the Christian life is learning to do all our obedience, all our religious duties out of love and gratitude for God. He says, rejoice in the Lord on Wednesdays. Again, I say rejoice, right? Just once a week, Sundays. That's all you got to do. Just rejoice once. Now, Scripture is always saying when it's good times, rejoice. When it's bad times, rejoice. You think, how does that work? It works in the idea that we recognize God's love for me. It's not contingent on how I'm doing this day. You know, the thing that changed my life was recognizing that in my brokenness and in my addictions and my anger and my terrible husbandry, God was crazy in love with me. In the midst of my sin, I had a a mentor that said to me, you know, Jason, when you're in the midst of temptation, and maybe you've just given in to temptation, I want you in that moment to get on your knees and just worship God that the sin that you just committed did not separate you from him, but that he is chasing it. And you know what I said to him? I can't do that. I can't, in the middle of that, right after, in my own sinfulness, just get on my knees and worship him. And you know why? Because I'd stop doing what I just did. And that's what, that's what he taught me. That in recognizing that God accepts us truly through Christ, what it does is it starts to change our life. I start to want to cherish my wife as Christ cherished the church because I'm experiencing him cherish me. That I want to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me because I see how Christ has done that for me. The Christian life is always lived. You see that? Out of gratitude. That's freedom. That's freedom. It's not a duty. And so Jesus says to us, hey, our, my laws, they're not burdensome. I kind of think some of them are. <laughs> Come on now. Why are they not burdensome? Because it comes out of gratitude. And that's where he's trying to take us. I am the door to life. I am the door. So he's, first of all, in this passage, he's showing us who he is. He's revealing to us and to these leaders, this is who I am. And then second, this is what I'm going to spend the rest of our time on. There's an invitation that he's making. An invitation into some promises that I think we need to walk in on a regular basis. And so back down again in verse 9, if you want to look at it with me. There's a conditional statement. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And then here's a promise. He will go in and out and find pasture. So you'll notice if anyone. 
So there's a conditional statement. There's something we have to do. We've got to respond. We've got to hear his voice. And the first promise that he makes us in this invitation, once we know who he is and understand what he's claiming to bring us, we have to respond. If anyone would enter me or would any believe he may have eternal life, that Jesus promises to give us salvation. See, Romans chapter 5 said it this way. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, which means to be accepted, to be made right, we are justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? Meaning the wages of sin. The wages of sin, the right the right punishment for sin is death, which means separation from the Father. That while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. You know, we don't see ourselves that way because we live in a culture that pushes back against that idea. Because they think, they think this is going to lead to poor self-esteem. You know, if you truly admit how bad you are, right? You know, if you truly admit that and see that's going to lead to poor self-esteem. But see, in the gospel, we are so sinful on the one hand, that Christ had to die. We have to own that. That, that leads to humility. Because if I'm so sinful that Jesus had to die, that means that God didn't die for me because I did it right or because I am right. No, God died for me because that's his nature. That's his character. He loves us. But here's the good thing. Here's the good news. The bad news, we're so sinful that Christ had to die, but we are so loved and cherished that he wanted to die for us. You know what that leads to? For me, it's courage. Because I know there's nothing that God does not know about me. Past, present, future. There's no sin in my life that he is unaware of. And yet he was willing to lay down his life for me. See, that's salvation. Knowing that I'm accepted by the Father purely through the grace of God. And it leads to gratitude. And out of that, it should lead to a changed life, to obedience. And so the first thing he promises us when we walk through that door is he gives us salvation. But here's the next idea, because we need to ask the question, the door to what? We haven't gotten there yet. You know, we just think the door into the house, the door out of the house. What is the door that Jesus is referring to in John uh, verse 9? Because again, jump down there in verse 9. He says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And then he uses this metaphor of sheep and the shepherd, and he'll go in and out. And find pasture, but the thief only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, what here's the question what's the door? Because we're disconnected from this metaphor of sheep and shepherds. We think of CEOs as leaders. Well, in the first century, they thought of shepherds as leaders. Now, today, we think of bankers, we think of people who are over institutions and over governments, we think of presidents and leaders. But see, when they applied leadership, they saw this leadership in a shepherd. And the relationship between us and God is like sheep to a shepherd. And see, at night, what would happen is they would take the sheep, because sheep are essentially defenseless. You know, they don't have claws. They don't have teeth. Basically, they just stand there and wait for predators to eat them. That's about it. And if you've ever been around sheep, you know, sheep get scared by bunnies. I mean, a bunny kind of just runs out of the darkness, and the sheep begin to run. And all the others, they don't even care why the sheep are running. They just start running. They're just afraid. They're just given over to fear. 
And in a spiritual sense, God is saying that's how we respond in a spiritual sense. We are dependent. We have no defenses. We got no claws spiritually. We got no teeth spiritually. We are defenseless animals. And so at night, what would happen is the shepherd would take the sheep and he'd put them in a fold. Now, a fold isn't a fence. They would actually uh, use the natural outcroppings. They would use walls like caves. And they would have these, find these areas, and shepherds knew where these areas were. And at night, they would take their sheep to these areas that were protected. And they would only have one entrance because the wolves, the lions, they were looking for ways to get in. And so these walls were not small walls. These are high walls. And around these walls, they would put protection. And there would only be one entrance, one door. And guess who was at the door? Guess what the door was? It was literally the shepherd. It was literally the shepherd. The shepherd would lay down and he would sleep over the entrance to the pen. And what Jesus is saying is that through that truth, on the one hand, we come into Christ, but Christ is also our protection. Meaning that nothing's going to come to you except through me. And you see that play out in scripture. You see it in the story of Job. Satan wants to come and mess with Job and God says, hey, I'm not going to let you do anything to him other than what I allow. Or you think of Peter. Remember Peter? Peter rejects Jesus. I mean, that's not a good day. And Jesus says to him, Peter, I'm praying for you, man. Satan wants to sift you. But guess what? I'm not going to let anything touch you except what I have allowed. And once he, he messes with you and he tries to do, do what he can, instead I'm going to make you a leader and you're going to feed my sheep. He says nothing is going to touch me. And then you know Psalm, the 23rd Psalm. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't fear evil. Why? Why? Because he is, he's with us. That God is our protector. He's our defender. And I, and I think that should cause us to cling closer to the shepherd. Often when we find fear, I think we just grab resources. We go for the law. What's going to save me now? Hey, I need to lie. I think sometimes that's one of the outlets we've got. It's one of the doors we're opening, right? It's not working too well. We go to that, that door of lying. I'm going to lie to my wife. I'm going to lie to my husband. I'm not going to tell the truth because if I tell the truth, maybe they won't like what I'm going to say. Maybe they'll reject me. But Jesus says, no, speak the truth. Trust me. Allow life to come in. Allow light to come in. And so we often run to the wrong doors. And he's saying, the reason I'm here is to protect you. His word is here to protect us, to give us life, a hope, and a future. So he's saying on the one hand, he's a door that leads to salvation, but he's a door that protects us from the challenges of life. And I think so often of um, my own disobedience, my own lack of patience before God and before others, and how I can turn a 15-minute conversation into a 15-week conversation. You know what I mean? I guess I'm the only one. I have this gift and ability, certainly I found this in marriage, that there's this simple thing that we need to address, right? Instead of being slow to anger, you know, quick to listen, you know that verse? You should memorize that one. I need it. I, I, I know it and I still mess up, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, right? Just say that on the way home. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. But what happens? Quick to speak, quick to become angry, slow to listen. And it takes this 15-minute conversation. What happens? It turns 15 weeks. It turns into death. That's what it feels like sometimes. What's he saying? In his law, in him, there is life. But we have to trust him. Because it's counterintuitive. I'm like the Pharisees. I want power. 
I want a name. I want things to be about me. And he says, if you'll just die to yourself, if you'll die to all the doors that, that the world's telling you, you've got to have this, go through this door. If you die to those things, you will find life. He protects us often from ourselves. He is salvation. He protects us. And then finally he says, and you see this again in verse 9, that you will go in and out and find pasture, meaning there is freedom. There is freedom. Paul said it's for freedom that Christ has has set us free, and yet we've got to stand firm and not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He says there's freedom, that through Christ we can go in and out and find pasture. Now, what does that freedom look like? Well, he describes it again in verses 1 through 5. There's an aspect to freedom, that freedom is found in the voice of the shepherd. So watch again in verse 3. If you jump back in in John 10, verses 3 through 5, he said it this way. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee for him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. That freedom comes from hearing the voice of the shepherd. But it's only freedom if we're willing to listen and to follow. Not just to hear his voice, but to receive that voice and to know in that voice is freedom. And I think our challenge, at least for me, is just simply to listen. I think our challenge is just simply to listen. We are listening to things that do not give freedom. And that's why the message, isn't it true? That's why the message that through Christ and Christ alone there is life. That's why that message is so difficult. Because we're listening so often to a world that says in the spiritual realm, and every other realm, financially, there's black and white. But in the spiritual realm, there's no black and white. We're all grabbing a piece of the elephant. Some have the trunk, some have the back, some have the tail. It's all the same thing. There's many ways to God. Hey, and that, in this culture, for many people, certainly younger people, that feels true. It absolutely feels true. That they're saying, we've got the truth. We've got the way to life. You know what the way to life is? Just be open-minded. It's you closed-minded people who are out. We're the door. It's the same message. We're the door. We have the corner on spiritual truth. So often, you know, Christianity, it's, it's exclusive. But understand, all truth, all truth is exclusive. And our culture says, we've got the, we've got the door on eternal life. The open-minded are in. Those who know there's many pathways to God. That's the way of life. We are in. But see, in Jesus, notice what he says. All you have to do is to enter. It's exclusive, yet it's incredibly inclusive. It's not based on what you've done. It's not based on what you look like or who you are or how smart you are or how foolish you are. He says all can enter. Anyone who can enter would simply respond. You know, one of my favorite stories, and I think one of my favorite pastors is a guy named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Now, Spurgeon served a long time ago in the 1800s, but he was a beast of a man, suffered with depression. I, I love that he has this, this dual nature, being such a brilliant man that walked with God, and yet he was very fallen, very honest about his own brokenness. But you know how he came to faith? 
he went to a church, and he went to this church one day, and he was just broken by life, and he goes in, and there's a few old ladies in the church. That's it. That's all that was going on in London. That was the spiritual weight of London at that time. And he goes in this church, and the pastor didn't show up. I don't know what happened. I think there was a storm, something like that. And so he's sitting in the back waiting for something to happen. And this man gets up, and he preaches out of Isaiah. And Isaiah just simply says, if you believe, you shall be saved. All you have to do is to believe. And here's Charles Haddensburg and this guy just struggling with life. And he said, you know what? Maybe I'll try it. I'll take the offer. I'll walk through the door. And he trusted, he believed, and he heard the Father's voice. Now, he didn't hear the Father's voice because the guy up front was a great speaker. It wasn't because he had great stories and illustrations. The reason he heard the voice was he was willing in that moment just to repent and say, Father, I need you. I need to hear your voice. I recognize in life there's a lot of doors, and all of us are here because of the doors we've entered or the doors that we've chosen not to enter. And Jesus is saying to us through this passage, would you just hear my voice? Through me is life. So why are we chasing after all these doors that promise life? But when we walk through them, we don't experience life. And how foolish are we like sheep just to keep trying? You know, you go back to the same well over and over, the same door over and over again. But just to listen and say, Father, I want to hear your voice. Now, how do we do that? I think we have to do that in community. I think one of the, the broken aspects of Christianity today is you can just do it by yourself. It's important to have a quiet time, to be alone with God, to get into his word. But I'll tell you, the place I've experienced God the most is when I'm studying the Bible with someone else and I say, I have no idea what this means. That happens a lot. I don't know what this means. And we start talking and praying and discussing together and God begins to convict. So often I've heard the voice of God through friends, through people, people that are walking with God in moments where I'm not walking with God. And it's their voice quoting God, speaking on behalf of God that leads me back to him. And often, sometimes it's just simply listening to his word. You know, one of the things that God had to do to me early on to get my prayer life going was to just begin to memorize scripture. You know, today, it is the easiest time in history to memorize scripture because you have so many outlets that will just repeat it to you over and over again. So many apps that will simply read the Bible to you. You don't have to read it today, right? We don't even have to have that much energy and focus. You can get in the shower and just turn on that Bible app and it'll begin to read it to you. And if you listen to it enough, just like your favorite songs, guess what's going to happen? It's going to eventually get stuck. And as we hide his word in our heart, we walk through the right doors. We don't sin against him. We hear his voice. And the thing that awakens your heart to God is getting his word, his voice into that heart, into your mind. And allowing your mind and your heart to be saturated with what he said. That's what he's talking about. Come to me and you'll find pasture. And so you know it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down. He makes me. You know what that means? Wrestles me at times. Yells at me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet water. He restores my soul. And though right now, God, I might be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Father, help me. I fear no evil because you're with me. I know your rod and your staff, they're going to comfort me. I may not be comforted. He said, they're going to comfort me. 
And right now you want to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You want to anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know when you need that? When you're about to walk through that door. Hey, this door is going to promise life. You say, you know what? God, you're my shepherd. I want it. You need to admit you want it. You know why people don't overcome sin? Because they won't admit that's really what I want. Hey, God, I want that, but you're my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Jesus, right now, would you lead me to green pastures? Right now, would you lead me to quiet waters? Meaning my life is a mess. I need a still place. Would you, Jesus, restore my soul? Would you guide me right now in paths of righteousness? Hey, not for my namesake, right? It's not about me, but it's about you. Show me that you want to anoint my head with oil and allow my cup to overflow so that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Hey, if you just have that, you've got enough. You with me? But we have to allow his voice. We have to allow his voice not just to be a voice. It's got to be the voice. It's got to be the voice that we go to, and it's got to be the voice we hunger for. Because if it's not, there's not life. And let's be honest. We chase after the same things over and just like sheep, over and over. We go back. And he said, I want to give us, I want to give you life. Hear my voice. And his words are life. But we got to listen. And we got to take that door. And then we got to allow him to guide us into green pastures and quiet waters. And let me pray for us. Father, you tell us that the gospel is the power of God. And so I just ask, Lord, um, Life is in your name. You said there's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. And, Lord, that's not just an intellectual argument. It's a spiritual reality. That as light came into the darkness simply by pronouncing, let there be light in Jesus. When the name of Jesus is spoken, when the gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus is spoken, the Holy Spirit uses it to bring life. Father, in Jesus' name, would you bring life? Would you awaken hearts? Father, that may have walked through so many doors that your voice, your voice is, isn't, it's, it's not loud enough. Would the Spirit of God awaken the heart to hear your voice? And for us, Father, for so many who have been walking with you for a long time, but we're here today again, and, and this week we continue to go through doors that promise life, but we know they lead to brokenness. We know they lead to death. We know that the law that they set upon us doesn't give us gratitude or joy or peace, but the law, even when we get what we're, I want to hear your voice. I want to remind my, uh, where we need to pull into others, would we pull in and would we find places where we can be honored and want to give us. We thank you in Christ.